0: If you turn with me there in your Bibles to John's Gospel and chapter 1, John's Gospel chapter 1. We have two messages today, God willing, that are going to prepare us to take the Lord's table this evening. John chapter 1. The book of John is sort of a biography of Jesus of Nazareth, isn't it? And he introduces the whole of his gospel, this wonderful book, this divine book, with the first 18 verses which serve as a sort of prologue or foreword or preface in which he sort of condenses the rest of the book. So let me read John 1 verses 1 to 18 to you. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe. He was not that light but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God." And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. What's that all about? It's about Jesus. It's all about the Lord Jesus. When he's talking about the word, and he's talking about God, and he's talking about this person who is the light and the word and the truth and life, he's talking about the Lord Jesus. And it's high stuff, isn't it? It's great stuff. John talks about Jesus as being present in the beginning with God, who is God. He's the one through whom everything is made that has been made, including you and me. He is the rhyme and reason of all of reality. He's the logic which makes sense of all the madness that we see in the world. He is the true light, the only truth. Without Jesus, we are in the dark. We don't know anything about God or about the world or about ourselves. We're just guessing. We're like this, trying to work out what all this means. And the Lord Jesus is the light, the truth, the word of God. Without him, John says, we're heading for an eternity of darkness... Because we do not know him. We do not know God as our father. We don't even know ourselves. So in this first little bit of John, he's starting as he means to go on. Focusing on Jesus, that we might believe in him. And that's what we're all about this morning. That's our objective today, that we might focus on Jesus, God from heaven for us that we might believe in him. Now, I think you'll agree that verses 1 to 18 is just too much to do in one sermon, isn't it? It is trock-a-block. People have given their whole lives and massively huge books just on these first 18 verses. There's too much in there. So let's look just at verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Well, that's too much as well, isn't it? That's just too much. There's That's deep. That's, deep. that's going to blow our brains if we go into that too much. So let's just look at the first bit. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. That's too much. Let's just look at the first bit again. The word became flesh. We'll focus on just that. and We'll see if we get through without uh, our brains melting because of the glory of it. The word became flesh. First of all, then, the Word. Who are we talking about when John says the Word? Well, he's identified in verse 1 as God. The Word was God. But also, the Word was with God. How's that? How can the Word be the same as God, but also with God, distinct from Him? Let me ask you a question, very simple, very easy. I hope you can get this right. How many gods are there? Are you all confused? There is one God. How many are there who are God? Three. This is what we call the doctrine of the Trinity. We have one God. And there are three who are that one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And John uses the word, Word, to talk about God the Son, who has taken onto himself our humanity, even Jesus Christ. So this is John's Christmas verse, isn't it? There's no shepherds, there's no wise men, but we have here the incarnation of the Son of God. Although he is God, although he is forever with God, without needing to be, without being compelled, by his sheer mercy, grace, and love, he has taken on to himself a whole humanity. So that what we have in Jesus is one who is fully God and wonder of wonders, fully man. A man who really, really thought about this an awful lot and wrote a very good book on it, a man called Athanasius, He wrote a book called On the Incarnation, which has been in print for something like 1,700 years. So I think you'll agree it's probably very good. You can get a copy if you want from the bookshop, I'm sure. And there's one that's got a really good foreword by C.S. Lewis. I think you will enjoy it. But another theologian takes what Athanasius says about the incarnation of God the Son. He says this, this is great. All that he was as God, he keeps as man. All that he is as man, he became as God. Wow. What a beautiful way of saying that Jesus is all God and all man. What he is as God is not shrunk down or reduced at all by the fact that he became man. That he is man isn't swallowed up at all by the fact that he is God. The word became flesh. Do you believe that? Is it true? Can you wrap your mind around it? Well, those are two different questions, aren't they? We can believe it, but can we comprehend something so wonderful? It's not nonsense. It is rational. You can make sense of it and argue it and study it, but it is known by faith that the word has become flesh for us. What a mystery. The Spirit tells us that it is true. God, the Word. God the Son has become flesh, has become human, has become one of us. Who would have thought it? Who would have conceived that something so wonderful could happen, that God would become human, even like us, one of us, to a point where when he was walking around on this planet Earth, people did not recognize that he was any different at all. But... As is often the case when we're talking about Jesus, it gets even better. The word became flesh. Let's look at that next bit. Became flesh. Because John had a choice when he was writing out this verse. Probably sweating with the glory of what he was writing. The word became body. What other words could he have used? He could have said the word became human. The word became incarnate, or the word became embodied, or enfleshed, or the word became man, or humanity, or a man. There's loads of words you could have put in there to say roughly the same thing. Why does he say flesh? What is John trying to get across to us when he says that the word became flesh? What he is saying is that God has become all that we are. The only exception being sin. The Lord Jesus has taken to himself a human mind, a human soul, a human will and a human body, a human experience, a human psychology, a human temperament, human emotions. All that makes a human a human, God the Son has taken into permanent oneness with himself. The word has become flesh. But it becomes not just wowing, but shocking. It becomes even offensive when John is trying to get across to us the extent to which the Lord has gone to become one of us. Allow me to explain. Have you noticed that today the physical things are sort of disregarded in favor for the immaterial things? Have you noticed that? Why dial something on my phone, especially if it's one of those ones that goes round and round and takes forever, when I can just tell Alexa? Alexa, call so-and-so. Why meet someone face-to-face, face-to-face, when I can Zoom them? Isn't that the same? Why flick a light switch when I can tell my computer to do it for me? Why bother the queen into her carriage when we can just put a hologram up? Did you see that at the Jubilee? Isn't the hologram the same thing? And right now we are having our services beamed over the internet online for those who cannot come to church, but we all know there are people who simply will not come to church and think it's the same thing, to just look at it on a screen. The physical things are being disregarded for the sake of the immaterial. They're even talking about a metaverse now. I don't understand this, but apparently there's an online world into which you can plug yourself. You can have your whole life there. You can get married there. You can have your society there. You can work and earn money there. What about this one? It's not my body. It's my mind. My feelings, my emotions, my will that decides what my gender is, what my sexuality is. Not the physical, the immaterial. Now, when John was writing, you know, that was turned up to 11. We're not very new. We haven't come up with any new ideas. This was in John's day. It was turned up to the max. Is how people thought that the physicality is not just neither here nor there, but it's often wrong. The body was considered a tomb or a cage for the spirit. If only we could be free. So do you see how explosive John was being when he said that the Word, who is God, became flesh? The flesh stands for all that we regret most about ourselves. Everything that we resent about ourselves and our own existence it's in the flesh. The flesh is the source of all of our problems, the wellspring of all of our suffering. Are you in pain this morning? Where do you feel that pain? But in your flesh. Do you feel the gnaw of addictions in your flesh? Where is your sorrow? Where do you feel all of the weight of living in this world? Where is sin most active? Romans 7 says, When we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our bodies to bear fruit to death. In our flesh. And this, my brothers and sisters, is where Jesus comes to us. In the flesh, John says. At the deepest point of who we are, the source of all of our weakness, the word became flesh. Now, if there is a word that we can put between the word, who is God, and flesh, who we really are deep down, everything all about us summed up in this word flesh, what can we put between these two words, the word and flesh? Is it not the Word who is God judged the flesh? The Word who is God condemns the flesh and he hates the flesh for what it does. The Word who is God seethes with rage against the flesh. You could understand all of those words. What if we're really lucky? Maybe, just maybe, if God is good enough, the Word can pity the flesh. The Word can rescue the flesh. But no, the worst word, the unthinkable word, the most offensive word, the one word that you surely cannot put there, is that the word who is God has become flesh. Nothing could be more juxtaposed than word and flesh. Romans 8 says, What the law could not do, that it was weak through the flesh. God has done by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. This is how close Jesus has drawn to you and to me, that the word has become flesh. But, as is often the case when we are speaking about Jesus, it gets even better. See, taking on our flesh is not close enough for Jesus and his purposes. To enter into solidarity with us, he takes our flesh and he adds to it even our own experiences, your life experiences. He hasn't just taken a human body and a human existence. He's taken a human life. He knows what it is to live a human life. To live your life. Jesus knows human anxieties and human joys He knows human anger. He knows what it is to be hard up. He knows what it is to be bereaved. He knows because he is God the Word who has become flesh and lived here among us what it is to shout into the black abyss, why God, why? He has become one of us in every way. Sin is the only exception. We can put it like this. All that makes you, you makes him, him too. I don't know how many of you have come in this morning feeling absolutely rotten about yourself. I don't think how many of us have struggled with low self-esteem. Feelings of shame. Feelings of guilt. How many of us have felt burdened just by living in this world? The circumstances that come our way, the situations that break us down. This world is broken. We are weak. Do you feel like that? Consider that everything that makes you, you, makes God who God is too. The word has become flesh. You know, in 451 AD, representatives of the whole church decided to have a meeting. They said, we've got to work these things out. These things are just too much for our little brains. What does it mean that the word has become flesh? Let's thrash some of these things out. And they wrote down what's been called the Chalcedon Creed. And we haven't done any better than this since. So let me give you my little hash of what they decided all this means. They said this, we confess the Son of God, our Lord Jesus Christ, perfect. That means complete in his Godhead, touching his, uh, sorry, perfect in Godhead, perfect in manhood, truly God, truly man. He is one with the Father according to his Godhead, one with us according to his manhood. And get this, they said, in all things he is like us, except sin. In all things he is like us, except sin. But, as is often the case when we're talking about Jesus, it gets even better. Not only has he taken flesh and become like us and taken our lives and lived a human life like us, that is not close enough for him and his purposes. In his birth, he takes our flesh. In his life, he takes our experience. He's taken us on with the intent and to the extent of making all that is about us about him. He was made like us in all things without sin, but then in his death upon the cross... He even takes our sins upon himself. The Bible says that the Lord Jesus Christ, the Word who is God, has become flesh and has become sin and has become a curse for us. What a wonderful story. Think of the difference between a remote PC wizard and a mechanic. Your PC breaks again. So you've got to call someone. Can you fix my computer? Maybe one of the whiz boys at the back who do all the things on the computer. And you say, can you help me with my computer? And they're on your phone. They say, go to your computer, press this button, click here and all that. And then they say, right, I'm in your computer now. And they'll fix your computer from miles and miles away without touching you or coming anywhere near you and your broken computer. They can fix it. Now think about a mechanic. Your car's broken. So you get it towed down to the garage. And there's the mechanic. And he rolls up his sleeves and he gets down deep. He practically disappears into your broken engine. And he's fiddling around in there and gets filthy fixing your broken mess. That's what the Lord Jesus does when he becomes flesh for us. He delves down to the deepest level of who we are. He disappears into the muck and grime of all of our lives. With all of our crookedness and brokenness and sin, all of our rejection of God and selfishness. He goes deep into that. He stoops down in his sinless self and takes us on, sin and all, that he might restore us wholly and make us right again with God. He has taken all that you are to be his own. He dies in the place of sinners, human for human, like for like, substitute. Is God pleased with the way that you lead your life? We've all lived sinful lives. We've all done and thought and said things that are wrong and left undone things that we should have done. We all know that. And because of that, our lives must tend downwards towards death where all things are put right. If only someone could live my life for me and do it right, because I can't do it, if only somebody could die my death for me, because I can't go through that. The Word became flesh to do just that, to be for us, to live for us, to die for us. So let me ask you a serious question. To what extent will the Lord Jesus not go to reach you and save you do you really believe that he wouldn't save you and change you to restore you and make you whole to fix you up and give you a new life do you believe he wouldn't do that is he going to do all of this and not follow through Do you think He's going to step from eternal bliss in heaven with His Father and all the angels forever and ever and step out of that into our broken, messy world? Do you think He's going to take our flesh with all that that means? Do you think He's going to live our life and take our sin and die our death and then stop short of saving you when you call on Him to forgive your sins and make you new? Peter tells us that Jesus bore our sins in his body, on the tree. And in so doing, my brothers and sisters, he has healed us and he has redeemed us from within our own humanity, where the very heart of the problem is, our broken, messy sins. He's dealt with it. You know, right in the beginning, we were made in his image. Do you know that? Get that from Genesis? Genesis? We were made in the image of Jesus Christ and we broke it. And so because of his great love and mercy, he was made in our image so that we might be remade in his. My time is up. Let me apply this to you. I've got two things to tell you now, how you should respond to all this wonderful truth about Jesus Christ. The word who became flesh, lived our life, died our death. One, consider his total solidarity with you, that he has taken your flesh and your experience and your sin. Think about it. He knows you through and through, and he knows your lives. The New Testament says, like we read in Hebrews 10, that that should affect our prayer lives. We're to think about the Lord Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh, and therefore we should pray. We can speak to the Lord Jesus about what it is to be human. You can speak to him about your flesh. You can speak to him about your weakness, because he knows what that's like too. You can speak to him about what it is to exist in this broken, messy world. You can speak to him about the temptations that you have to wrestle with, because he had to wrestle with the same. You can speak to him about the burdens of living here, because he knows what it's like, because he has taken us on wholly, all of us. Hebrews 4 says this, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Point one, pray. Pray about it. Speak to him. Point two, and this is the end. What are you going to do in return? What sort of sacrifices are you going to make in your life now to make good on how good God has been to you? How much effort will you spend now serving in the church? How much money will you give to the church? How much time will you spend now and dedicate to telling other people about Jesus? Whoa! Hang on a second. Those are all very good questions, and we can talk about that, but that's not what John says we should do. Not here, anyway. Look again at verse 14 of John 1. The Word became flesh, and everyone got very busy to pay him back. No! The Word became flesh, and we beheld his glory. It's as simple as that. That, my friends, is the response that is required of you. Now that you have heard that the word has become flesh, look at him. Look at him. Watch him as he just does it all for you. He has come to us from heaven in our flesh, in our lives bearing our sin, to save and redeem us wholly through and through to the very core of who we are and what we do and what we want to change us and make us right again. And all that we can do is look at it and believe. There's nothing left for us to do or add to what he has done, but to look and believe. John says that you and I are spectators, not participators at all, spectators, watching as God steps from his throne to take us on, to take our flesh, to take our lives, to take our sin, to take our death, to take our hell to redeem us wholly. Our flesh is redeemed when we believe in Jesus Christ. Our bodies can be made new because of Jesus Christ. The experiences that we have in life are no longer tainted with the the sort of inevitability of becoming rubbish and bad for us. But they're all redeemed and they can be good for us. Just look at him. Look at what he has done. Point one, pray. Point two, look at him. The word made flesh, born for us, lived for us, died for us. Look, believe, and be saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what is left for us to do but to thank you and to worship you for what you have done for us in Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that you have loved the world so much that you have given your only Son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Glory to you, Father, Son, and Spirit, for what you have done for us in bringing together such a wonderful and a full redemption for us sinners, that while we were wallowing down here in our brokenness, unable to help ourselves and unwilling. You sent the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, into the world to take our flesh, to live our life, and to die our death. We ask you then to forgive us all of our sins and give us the grace and faith that is necessary to look upon Jesus Christ, crucified for sinners, and believe in him for life eternal. Amen. We'll sing together then to Clause number 150. Thou art the everlasting word, the Father's only Son. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forever. Amen.